0: Well, Merry Christmas. Let me take just a moment to wish you the very best of this season, the best that it has to offer. And I hope that tonight is part of setting kind of the, the, the course for the remainder of this Christmas season. When you think about Christmas, the best Christmas you ever had, it's probably a time when you were a kid, and it probably had something to do with a gift, right? It was that year that your parents got it right. Santa came through. You know what I mean? He came through, and uh, it was the best Christmas ever. And if you were a kid in the 80s, it may very well have been the day you got this guy, a transformer. Anybody? No, maybe not. Oh yeah, thank you for the one guy. Thank you. Transformers came on the scene in 1984, and they were wildly popular. They were based off this cartoon that Hasbro had developed, and as a result of the sales of toys and the cartoon, a movie series was launched, and they made over $4 billion on all those movies. It's amazing. And the idea, the premise behind the Transformers is way beyond me. I could not master this guy. He's supposed to be a tractor-trailer. Well, here, let me explain what I'm talking about here. Watch this. His name is Optimus Prime. He starts out as a tractor trailer. And all the Transformers, as you know, will move all their different parts. They're going to shift and they're gonna, you're going to twist. And then eventually they become this superhero robot. There are two groups. The Autobots, the Autobots, and the Decepticons. I never got a Transformer as a kid. The Autobots are the heroes, and the Decepticons are the evil enemies. And this guy's the leader of the Autobots. Optimus Prime. I want you to think just for a moment. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could be a lot like these guys? I mean, we could change from who we are into something better, something significant, Author and counselor Larry Crabb says this, when we change for the better, we usually feel better. What about you? Is that true? If you could change for the better, you think you'd feel better? Here's the question I want to ask you. Do you believe that real change, real life change can actually happen? Do you believe that? I mean, people can actually go from being addicted to not being addicted, to all these family dysfunctions and all the struggles and fears and the things that you said, this will never change. That in a person's life, those things can actually change for the better. I believe that God wants us to experience real change. He wants to see people transformed. And not just behaviorally, but on the inside, on the very core of who they are. Spiritually. Too often we think about transformation in the same way we think about New Year's resolutions or turning over a new leaf. But transformation doesn't change because of decisions that we make on January the 1st. Instead, it comes from recreation. Recreation that comes from new life in Jesus Christ. The change people need most is not in their circumstances, but in themselves. And it's it's not having the ability to try harder. Instead, it's having a life that's entrusted to Christ. That's why on that night in Bethlehem, where we celebrate the very first Christmas, Mary gave birth to a son. And the angel had whispered to her, he's the son of God. He's the one who would come and save us from our sins and give us this opportunity for transformation in our lives. That's why the first Christmas is without a doubt the best Christmas ever. You know, when we talk about transformation, it's not about trying harder. In fact, there's no trying involved in it at all. The transformation that occurs that Jesus brings is because it, it, it isn't because we do something. It's because Jesus has already done something. And we find this explained to us in one verse in a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. It's in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 17. And it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, Behold, all things have become new. You know, the very heart of the, of the Christian faith revolves around change. But it's not the turning over a new leaf kind of change. It's being set free from the past and living out a brand new life. I have to believe that there are some of us who would say, you know what, I would opt for that. Here's the key point that I want you to leave here with, and I don't want you to forget. Remember this. Jesus came on that very first Christmas to bring transformation for all of mankind. So if you're looking for real change, if you've tried all that the world has to offer and nothing has worked, then it's time to put your trust in Jesus. Why not? What do you have to lose? Give him a chance. I want us to take a little bit of our time together, and Mike has he's wedged me into this one spot, and he doesn't think I can do this, so I'm going to talk really fast, because I'm not sure I can either, but I want us to dig into this text and see why trusting Jesus is an attractive option to experiencing this new life, how transformation can actually happen. Listen to what Paul says. He says, first of all, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, which tells us that not Everyone is in Christ. And then this idea of anyone, go back, this idea of anyone, right there, anyone is in Christ. The idea of that, the idea of that is that anyone can have this relationship. It's open to everyone. Everyone is eligible. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to meet some kind of requirements. It's available to everyone. And then he goes on. Paul uses this phrase, if anyone is in Christ. Now, the the message translates it this way. The message translation translates it this way. Anyone united with the Messiah. It's kind of the same thing. But it's a comparison between in Christ and united with the Messiah. And I want you to think about that for a minute. What's that mean? That's kind of a loaded phrase if you think about it. In Christ. It's short, it's small, but it's got a lot in it. Paul used it 25 times in his New Testament writings, in Christ. And in Christ means that the person has a personal relationship with Jesus based on his or her faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, conquering the power of death. That's what they believe. That's what it means to be in Christ. So he goes a step further. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And what you need to know about this part of the phrase, this part of the verse, is that Paul structures it as a conditional structure. What does that mean? Well, it means that the first part, if that's true, then the second part is also true. So if a person is in Christ, then he or she is a new creation, What Paul's talking about here is this transformation. It's a metamorphosis, if you will. A change that impacts the believer's priorities and the way that they're going to see life going forward. It's different. It's not like it was in the past. Nobody's life represented this or exemplified this more than a guy by the name of Raul Reese. Look at that guy. Wouldn't you like to be friends with a guy like that? The truth is... That when I was a young guy in ministry, I would hear Ra preach on the radio, oftentimes on my way home from work. And I I, I just connected with him. He was kind of one of my heroes. Because every time he spoke, I I say every time, most of the time that he spoke, I identified, I clicked with that. He spoke a language that I understood. Raw's life of transformation is epic. It's, it's almost miraculous in a sort. See, he grew up in a very dysfunctional, abusive home. And he started rebelling at a young age against his alcoholic father. And before long, they were at war. Rawl, his friend said, if he was your friend, he was fun-loving. But if he was your enemy, he was the worst enemy you ever had. He was filled with anger. He was a living stick of dynamite. And all of this finally caught up to Rawl when he turned 18. He got into a fight with a guy and nearly killed him. And as a result, he was arrested and brought before a judge. And the judge gave him two choices. He can go to prison or he could join the military. And so Rawl joined the United States Marines. And before long, he found himself in Vietnam at war. And the war took its toll on him. His life went from bad to worse. The war's toll was significant as he was exposed to so much death and so much killing. It just got worse and worse until finally one day he threatened to kill one of his superiors. Well, he found himself in a military psychiatric hospital in the US, and before long he was discharged from the Marines. The problem was none of what they did for him helped him with his anger. In fact, his anger didn't subside. It just got worse. It just got worse and worse until it bottomed out. On April the 15th, 1972, he was so angry and in such despair that he had decided to end it all, not just for himself, but he was going to take his whole family with him And as he waited at their home, waiting for the family to return, he started just enraged, breaking things in the house. And as he was doing that, he hit the side of the television to destroy it, but it didn't break the TV, it actually turned it on. And on the screen was a local pastor by the name of Chuck Smith, and Chuck was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about God's love. Rawl said, "He said, "Your past is gone. The slate is clean." And all of a sudden it had Rawl's attention. And then he said, "This guy made me so mad as I was listening to him, because he was so positive, he said, "I wanted to shoot him, and I wanted to shoot the TV, but I couldn't pull the trigger." He said, I just kept listening as I sat there. He said, this man's words were like the words of God. Paul said, it, said it, eventually he got on his knees and he just called out to God. He'd never done that before. But something happened. Over the next several weeks, he started reading the Bible. He read the Bible through in just two weeks. He started praying, and then he started calling all of his friends, trying to convince them to become followers of Jesus as well. One of his friends said, "Rawls' change was as different as night and day. Rawl had put his faith in Jesus, and he was radically transformed. Raul Reese was never going to be the same ever again. And I think God wants the same for you. I think he wants it for all of humanity. Remember Paul's structure of this verse is conditional. If you're in Christ, then you're a new creation. Paul told the the Galatian Christians, what counts is the new creation. Being a new creation is what real life is really all about. So Paul says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That word behold, it's kind of an interesting word. It's as if Paul says, he's saying behold, and it's like a magician going, ta-da. That's what it means. That's what the word behold means. He says, old things have passed away. Ta-da, all things have become new. I want you to think about that. Paul's illustrating the reality of this transformation. And as the reader is watching this, he's reading this, it occurs to him that, ta-da, life can change. And he sees the amazement like you would a magician finishing an illusion or finishing a trick. Old things have passed away. Behold, ta-da, all things have become new. He's talking about old things. What is that? Well, that word old depicts that something is ridiculously out of date. It's old-fashioned. It's worn out. It's no longer of any use to us. If you grew up in the 70s, you will remember this. If you did not grow up in the 70s, you should thank God. Because the only thing good out of the 70s was music, right? But this was terrible. First of all, you remember the polyester leisure suits? How many of you owned one? How many of you owned more than one? What is wrong with you? I had one my mom bought me. It was yellow. Hey, how do you make a leisure suit bad? Worse than just a leisure suit? Make it yellow. Okay? Not only was it leisure suits, but there were bell bottoms. You remember these? They've tried to come back into style, but people today are smarter than we were in the 70s. They look at that and they go, nope. (laughs) And then there's puka shells. You remember the puka shell necklace? We wore these. Why? Because Don Johnson wore them on Miami Vice, remember? But even he couldn't make this thing last. And then the last was platform shoes. Look at these things. You could break a bone falling from that height. And when you think about it, in the 70s, these were in style. But when you compare them to the styles of today, we're kind of embarrassed, aren't we? That Yes. yes. <laughs> hey, ridicule your own decade, okay? Okay. Here's the deal. Today, these things are old. And if you think about it, they're old and they're ridiculously old-fashioned now. I dare you to show up on a Sunday wearing your leisure suit. If you can still fit into it. Right? It's ridiculously old. And the way of living that Paul's talking about, this old way of living, he's thinking about it and he's saying, it's old. There's something better. There's something better. He said, "Old things have passed away. Behold, ta-da, all things have become new. The word new here he uses, it's in comparison to old. And it's always implying that there's something better. The new is actually better. In this specific verse, he's speaking metaphorically about Christians who are renewed and transformed from a sinful life to a new life that comes from Jesus. The sinner whose life was in chaos. It was filled with all kinds of trouble and heartache. Then they are transformed because they are in Christ. They're transformed by Jesus and they receive this new life. It's filled with hope and it's filled with peace. It's the difference between, as Raul Reese's friend would say, night and day. There's no comparison of these two lives. One is old and it's passed away, and one is new and it has come. Ta da! He says old things have passed away. What are these old things? What are these old things that have passed away when a person gives his or her life to Jesus? Well, the first and the most important is your sin. They're gone. You're forgiven. The psalmist says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Your sin is gone. And that sin is what prevented you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what connected you. It's, it was what kept you from being connected, excuse me, to, to the Lord. You know, we all need a Savior. And if you didn't know this, we all need a Savior. Because we all have sin. A little boy wrote a letter to Santa. It said this, Dear Santa, there are three boys who live in this house. Jeffrey, who is two, David, who is four, and Norman, who is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. Signed, sincerely, Norman. <laughs> That's a cute story, but it's not based in reality because there are no Normans in here. None of us are good all the time. You could be good 99.9% of the time, but that, point, that 0.1% keeps you from being good all the time, right? And most of us, we're not that good 99.9% of the time, are we? What we need is a Savior, and that's why Jesus came, to take those sins away. But not only are our sins gone, but the power of old thoughts and old practices are gone as well when you're in Christ. None of these things have any authority over you anymore. Their power is gone. That's what's gone when the old is gone. Here's what happens. Behold, all things become new. What is new? Here's what comes new. Number one, you're freed from your sins and the guilt that came with it. So you no longer have to be defined by those perspectives, the failures of your past. Number two, God promises to us always to be with us. The Holy Spirit lives within the person who is in Christ to guide them and to strengthen them. Number three, God has also promised that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. You see, before you were in Christ, you were destined for hell. You may not have known it, but you were. Because of the sin that separated you from God, but because of Jesus, you have the promise of eternal life. And then fourthly, you are also now part of the family of God. You accept Jesus, and you become royalty. Think about it. You may never have thought of yourself as royalty before, but you are if you are in Christ. Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that you might live like a child of of God, with all the blessings and the privileges. You are You are precious to your heavenly father, who is the king of kings. And he wants you to live a life that is worthy of being a child of the king. So, as you think about Christmas this year, remember this. God sent his son to save us from our sins. And not only to save us, but to set us free by transforming us to live a new life And all this was set into motion on that night in that little town of Bethlehem. That was the first Christmas. But I will tell you, that was the best Christmas ever. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for everything that Jesus did so that we might have a new life, a transformed life. God, as I think about it, we can never pay you back for all that he did for us. This new life, it sets us free from our sinful past. And I pray, God, pray, thanking you for offering your son to us. Thank you for offering this new life to all of us. Lord, I pray that you will touch every single heart in here tonight. That every person who's here will know that they, are lo- that they are deeply loved by you. God, I praise you for that. And I pray if there's somebody that's outside of your family, they're not part of the royal family of God yet, I pray, Lord, that they will find the need in them to seek that out. I know I'll stay here as long as I need to, to talk to anybody that wants to talk about that. God, we're grateful. We praise you this Christmas, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, life, light is a metaphor in the Bible. Uh, It represents the Spirit of God and the message of God in an individual's life. Light has a unique characteristic, it drives out darkness. Darkness hides things, but light reveals them. It exposes them. The light in Scripture also has one other characteristic. It has the characteristic of lighting the path ahead for us. So when we have the light of God in our lives, we have this opportunity to know where we should go. Jesus coming into the world, the Bible says, brought a great light. And that light continues even today in the hearts and lives of people who follow him, who embody his message. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 9 verse 2, he said, The people who walk in darkness will see a bright light. The light will shine on those who live in the land of death's shadow. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world and bringing this light. I want to invite our staff and our elders to come up here. I want to light a few of their their candles. And then I want to ask them to come and light your candles. And as they each light a candle, young and old, we're going to... Don't put my light out, lady. Lady. Young and old, we're going to pass this light around. And eventually, all around this room, we'll give everyone the opportunity to receive the light. And this is a great example of how when the message of God is shared one at a time, one person to another, it can light up an entire room. And in this case, it can change the world. When people receive the light of Jesus, the light of the world.